got a, um, you know, I'm sure you've been distracted by all the video games up here today. And, um, you know, they're for a reason because over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be um, sharing when I do minister. I'll be on, I don't expect the other ministers that will be ministering to the weeks to be speaking on my topic if they don't need to. I, this is a word the Lord gave me. I'm trying to get my papers done. But um, I'm going to be speaking on a topic called, it's not a time for games. You know, there is a time for fun and games, but like you probably, when you came in, I'm sure if you were raised in a church or have any religious or a religion background, it probably offended you to see video games sitting on a stage that we're about to move into worship. And I'm sure that while we were trying to worship and the video games were beeping and blinking and lights were flashing and they were bringing you back to childhood memories. How many of you guys played Galaga growing up? That was my game. I was never good at this one. But uh, this was yours. And so I said, yeah, I'm gonna, I want them on in worship. Because, yeah, I understand they might be distracting this morning, but I want to make a point. There's a time and a place for games, but we're moving into a time and a place that it's not the time for games. And so over the next few weeks, I'm going to be preaching along this topic. And so um, there's actually a story in the book of 2 Samuel. And I'm just going to make reference to so 2 Samuel chapter 2. It's when it was an odd time in church history at this moment. And what it said was, it was when once King Saul had died, now we had David's army, and we had Saul's army, and for years they had been chasing each other. David's army was running from Saul's army, and Saul's army was chasing David for years, and all of a sudden now Saul's gone, and King David is king, and we got two armies that have given their lives to fighting one another, or trying to get the other. But now peace had fallen. And it picks up in 2 Samuel chapter 2 where it says, Abner's army and Joab's army were all sitting in a field. And they were sitting there now that they had found themselves what they felt like to be in a time of peace. They found themselves with really nothing to do. And so Abner looked at Joab and he said, Hey, let's get the young men together. And let's put some on the field and let's play war games. And the Bible says that each one pulled up 12 of their young, strongest men, put them in, and what began as a game, in just a few minutes, laid 12 dead men on a field. That means there were 12 wives without husbands. There were countless kids without fathers. Wasted because there were men playing games at a time that it was not to be played games at. And so that's going to be, I, over the next couple weeks, I'm telling you, it's of peril importance that we make our decisions, men especially, that we're going to have to turn off some of the games we've been playing. Because what they're doing, they're distracting. They're getting your eyes off of what God has called us to do. And the enemy looks for opportunities like that. To take advantage. Before we do, I want to stop and pray. we got some prayer things going on. How many of you guys find yourself in a situation where you're having to, you need to be fighting for life or death? Yeah, I know there's a lot of our families. I walk with a lot of our families in here through a lot of things. And it is. It's, this is not a time for games at this moment. And so, like today, we're going to be at 2 o'clock um, having a funeral here at the church for Misty's son, Anthony. 14 years old. 
tragically taken this week in a car accident. And so today at 2, we'll be doing the funeral, but we're fixing to play 2.30. Sorry, I keep saying 2, but it's 2.30. So we want to welcome, invite anyone that would like to come and honor Misty and the family and pray for Misty and family and be a part of this. We're going to be having the service here, but I want to pray for you guys this morning. Personally, in my own personal life, I'm going to ask for special prayer. We found out this week. I get emotional about it, not because I'm scared, just because it's my baby. I love your babies too, but God gave me three. They're mine. But uh, we found out this week that Isla was born with a condition that uh, we weren't aware of. And so uh, now's the time to fix it. And so um, that's fine. I cry over my wife and my kids all the time. I'm not, I don't mind that. But I'm going to ask you this week to specifically be praying. It's going to be a very evasive um, surgery, but it has to be done now. So we thought we had about a month to get ready for it, but they called this week and said it needs to be done this Friday. So uh, if you would be lifting her up. I cry over your kids too, just not in front of people usually. (laughs) So we got that we're praying over. Um, Any other need we need to pray over real quick? We got Cody and Mallory. We're going to pray unspoken here. Um, Unless you want, we'll pray unspoken. It's life or death. I know the enemies, and we're going to be sharing some of this in just a bit where we're going. But um, let's lift this up. Anyone else real quick? If you've got your hand raised, keep your hand raised. I'm going to ask. The Bible says, that I don't necessarily I have to talk about it from Mike, but it says this. That if there's anything that you need from God, you can have two or three agree touching this earth and it would be done. The Bible says this. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man, they availeth much. So I want you to turn around and look. Family, find somebody with their hand up. I want you to walk over and not let them fight this battle alone. Walk over, put your hand on their shoulder. And while we're in the presence of God, let's take advantage of this. God don't show up for no reason. In the New Testament, every time Jesus showed up somewhere, whatever the problem, difficulty, sickness, disease, bondage, possession was, He fixed it. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to fix this today. So let's pray. Father God, we lift up these days. God, I can't imagine walking in the shoes of Misty this week. How a mother has to walk toward preparing to bury her son. So Lord, I ask you to send your Holy Spirit, your ministering angels. They have been so strong. They have walked through such a hard week. But Lord, I know today will be difficult. I ask you, Holy Spirit, your word says you are closest to the brokenhearted. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal yourself closer to Misty, the family, and all those involved closer today than you ever had before. Lord, we pray over little Allah. I thank you that you are given the surgeons the mind of Christ. When they look at her body, they understand that this is a child of God and they will think according to your will and your word. You will give them the right understanding what to do when they go in. You will anoint their hands and every tool that they touch and every person that will be involved will be used as a vessel for your will to bring about your word which is she is well. She is healed by your stripes in Jesus name. And Lord, we pray over Cody and Mallory. We pray over every circumstance, every situation that's represented in here. God, you are a miracle working God. You are a very present help in the time of trouble. And so right now, Lord, we agree together as a body, as children of the Lord, coming before you boldly with the, uh, to the throne of grace, making known our petitions and the petitions of others. And we declare right now that the word of God is the truth. 
the Word of God is the facts. And it doesn't care what the situation looks like now. That it is lining up to bring the Word of God into fruition right now in the name of Jesus as we speak. Amen and amen. If you believe it, say amen like you believe it. Praise God. I am pumped uh, on a good note. That's sad. On a good note, man. Joyce, welcome. Give Joyce a big hand clap. For those that have not met Joyce yet, stand up, Joyce. We're going to put you on the spot. That's Pastor Yvette's fiance. But in just a couple short weeks, it will be Mrs. Yvette. It won't be fiance anymore. Uh, their wedding is ticking close. And man, this is her first Sunday to get to be down here. She's been, I saw her last week at the Camden campus. I get to see you this week here. So welcome. And we say welcome home. That'll be the last time we, we treat you like a guest. Pray right. God. Also, man, I am so pumped. How many of you guys got to join in? I was nine minutes late, Justin Hannah. Nine minutes late from getting to see the beautiful color that blew out of the cannons. I don't know if you know, but Justin and Hannah are expecting a miracle baby. I'm telling you, a miracle baby. And it's to the point now that um, this weekend they did a gender reveal. Kind of thing, and like I said, they did went live, and me and Jim were talking about it all day. We we're gonna get Jim was live on it. I didn't make it. I was getting there late, and so they blew the candle. They're having a beautiful baby boy. Amen. So that's another. Keep that baby prayed. Another one. Jimmy, where's Jimmy at? He's not here this morning. Jimmy, miracle of God. You know, last week uh, the men wore. They prayed, and Jimmy went to the hospital um, last week, and it was dire. I got the call. That he went in for a heart cath, and in the process of the heart cath, they put in a stent, and the stent ruptured one of the arteries, and he was bleeding out of the arteries. And I got the call and said, we do not know if he's going to live or die. That's why um, Jeremy was telling me, I talked to Tina, then Yvette, Doris, Erlene, several rushed to the hospital. And within a four-hour period of time, they took that man out of ICU and sent him home well. I mean, what a miracle of God. He is faithful. There's so many things going on and so many announcements we need to make. Um, we'll just jump on them later because time is clicking pretty quick. Oh, shoot, I'm way early. It's only 10.16 this morning. I got a lot of preaching time today. The clock hadn't been set up for it yet. And, and, um, you guys, I'm impressed. You're the ones. These are the true church members. The ones that make sure they set their clock on time to get to church on the Sunday morning service. On daylight savings time. You watch at the end of service, people are going to be pouring in. And um, But you guys are the true Christians because you remembered. Um, a lot of things going on though. But if you're not taking advantage of Celebrate Recovery, that's one of the brightest points, I believe, in the church right now. God is using it going. God's using Kenneth and Brenda. It is happening on Thursdays at 6. And then freedom class with um, Raphael and Daisy two times a month. I'm telling you, if you're tired of just being a mess, you need to be in this class. Because you need to know something. All of us were a mess until Jesus began to set us free. So those are the two I'll highlight. Oh, say, where's Steve? Stevie. So many people out there. Wasn't men's breakfast good last week? I got to see the pictures because I got called to sit to Camden last week at the Camden campus. And so I wasn't here, but the men's breakfast. Larry, I got to see you sitting in the pictures they sent me. Was it good? Hey, was the food good? 
I was a part of getting that together. I called McDonald's and ordered it. Alright? So, <laughs> but once a month, we're going to be having a men's breakfast. And, um, man, we want to invite you out. Steve is, the Lord's put on his heart to raise up mighty men. And he's going to be teaching spiritual warfare men how to be men. And so come out, we'll feed you good. But also, you'll, you'll be, a, you'll begin to see what part of the kingdom of God, men are called to play. Amen? Because you say, well, play. Yeah, the Bible of the Scripture says, play the mighty men. Our job is to get you mighty so then God can put you on the field. All right? Great football players just don't walk in and go to the game. They start at practice and they join the team and become a part. And then they begin to win games. So all that being said, I am pumped about Pastor Parnell being here. You're talking about a truth. I'm going to point you out just a minute. Go ahead and send up, Pastor. He is from Monroe. You guys know we are launching our Monroe campus this year. And with our Monroe campus, I didn't know how we were going to do it, where we would do it, how we just knew it was time. And so we launched the Facebook page, thanks to Kelly and Brandon. Brandon, thank you for letting me have Kelly's time all through the week. But they launched it, and as they launched it, Pastor Parnell and myself got to connect. And we talked probably an hour and a half last week, then we text about i've had a very crazy week myself this week but we've been connecting back and forth and man we believe they're here today to make to see what our heart is i already feel his heart it pours on you when you're around him and so he's seeing what our heart is and we believe god's going to do great things in monroe with this family right here so we're going to have a ball so i'm going to jump in now y'all ready since i got two hours and 45 minutes I tell you, if y'all, if y'all say church is too long, it's, it's their fault. Because <laughs> that clock behind them says 1019. <laughs> All right? No, I know it doesn't. Um, how many of you guys have been watching the news? And everywhere you turn, the coronavirus is, seems like it's trying to take over and affect things. And, man, I tell you what, that's not the will of God. The will of God is not for territories to be taken by a virus. Uh, Joe, real quick, go to Acts chapter 24, verse 5. That is definitely, so, you know, we're praying. The Bible says that um, no disease can hurt us. We can eat any deadly thing. And so I'm not afraid of the coronavirus, but, you know, um, I do know this, that I don't know if they're going to find an answer to it, but I do know the answer is Jesus. And so, saying that to say this, I'm not afraid of corona, but this is what the Bible says. Paul was known for this. For we have found this man, and one translation, to be a plague. You don't got to be worried about being or catching corona. What you need to be worried about is having the Holy Spirit so inside of you that the world sees you're more contagious than it. And so, in this next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing on what I believe as a church we need to become infected with. Yes. And I, I like to say, if we're going to use wisdom and we're going to use a uh, thing about the corona. I'm not trying to let what I, but I'm saying is God's wanting to infect us with something that we will affect others with. And so, I'm going to pick up in First Samuel chapter 30 today. Now, this is a very common story, but hopefully. I believe God will give us some new understanding about it. And it starts in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it says this. And now it happened. Have you ever been there? That all of a sudden, you're living life 
you're doing well, things seem to be going well, and then it happened. You got the phone call that said there was a wreck. Misty, I know your heart broke because Monday night it happened. I don't know, like with me, I got the call Tuesday that they had figured out and they had found something wrong with Allah. It happened. All right? I don't know about you, but when your husband walked in the door and said, it's over. Or you walk to work and you get the pink slip that says, this will be your last day. I know this, every one of us has walked through a moment when it happened. You need to understand that just because it happened doesn't mean God is mad at you. Here the story picks up. David and his men were just coming off of a battlefield. And they were in a place in this battlefield where they were going to do what they thought they had to do, but God intervened. And you know the hand of God moved it. But when they came back home, this is the description of what was going on. It happened. What is your it? See, every one of us got something that we're afraid that if it happens, we may not get through it. Here, it happened. David lost his family, lost his home, lost his possessions, and lost everything. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll be transparent. Um, one of the greatest fears I have is that something's going to happen to my family. I, I, to myself, I, you know, I mean, I consider myself to be fearless. That's why I got so many scars. I'm not saying I'm tough. I'm just saying I, I, God did not give me that same level of fear other people have. But I'm just ignorant about things a lot of times. I've fallen off many buildings, broken many feet. And all, you know, but my greatest fear, I'm just going to be honest with you, the enemy constantly tries to attack me with the fear of something happening to my family. Every one of us have something that the enemy fights you with mentally in your mind that's, that there's an it connected to it. And you need to know this, that the devil don't play fair. See, a lot of times when tragedy happens in my own personal life, it knocks the wind out of me, takes me a step back, and I'm like, how in the world could this have happened? You need to know something going into this. A lot of times we, we don't give the devil enough credit, and I'm not giving him victory credit, I'm giving his character who he, you need to know who he is. The Bible says he only comes but to steal, kill, and to destroy. He is not a little red horned guy with a little flappy tail that's joking around, wanting to do stuff. That's you know what I'm saying. The devil is there's not it, there's no line he is not willing to cross. And he's been doing this for a long time. And he's been around since you were on this planet. And he's been watching you. And he's been planting seeds in you. And he knows you, I'm telling you, he knows what your greatest fears are. And so every day he gets up just trying to figure out how to bring about that thing, the it that you're afraid of. And his goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy. Here in David's life it says, and now it happened the devil hates you and I don't know about you but a lot of times in my life I'll be going along all of a sudden something will happen it will happen and I'll step back and say how could this happen it's because there's devil is real and man there is he there is no compassion there is no empathy there is no thought pattern of, well, that's just a little too far. For it. No, he's out for keeps. And the Bible said here, in the, the Bible says, 
Now it happened. You say, well, cricket, should I be afraid? No, no, no. Isaiah 59, 19, I want to bring this out to you. That's what it says. It says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory and from the rising of the sun. Then it says this, when the enemy comes in like a flood. What is the enemy coming in like a flood? That's your it. When the enemy comes into your life and it just happened. You got the call from the doctor. You got laid off on the job. You got pulled over, got the speeding ticket. The it happened. There's a telltale sign as the enemy's coming in like a flood. So what happens when the enemy comes in like the flood? You need to know things can't stay the same. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the rest of the scripture says the Spirit of the Lord will lift up the standard against him. Standards have to change when the enemy becomes in, starts coming in like a flood. If you find yourself in the it, you've got to choose, I can't stay the way that I am right now. If you're facing the happening in your life right now, you need to know something. God's got to answer, but it's going to take your standard being raised. So I want to talk about this in this story just a minute. It says, and now it happened. Don't let the devil surprise you. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. For the devil goes around like a roaring lion. In other words, don't be ignorant, don't be dumb, don't be foolish, don't walk around with your head in the clouds. Realize, don't be surprised that you've got an adversary that's doing everything he can do. But the good news is this, when he tries it, God raises a standard. And the standard here, he, the devil, it will stop the enemy in his track. So let's go through this story real quick, alright? It says, and when David, it says, and now it happened, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites are one of those unique groups in battles. And they were, in other words, they were always, since the beginning, attacking. They are a picture, a shadow, a type in the Bible of the devil. The first enemy to ever attack the children of Israel when they came out were the Amalekites. They, the Amalekites have been fighting here, the children of Israel, since they came out of Egypt. And the thing about it was, they would get, God would gave Saul the commandment, let's wipe them out, kill them. And because of compromise, personal agenda, wanting other people's approval, he didn't. So now we find him in the next book, the Amalekites still fighting. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The enemy, since the day you were on this planet, has been after you. He knows everything about you. The reason why you have the fears you have are the, the difficulty because he's been speaking these things into your life. And the thing about it is, God has been trying, honestly, with me in your life, to deal with these things. But a lot of times it's more comfortable to allow them to remain than for us to change and be willing to raise the standards in our lives. It said this, it said that the Amalekites came to attack. Now, they're a very unique thing. In the factual, the number value in the Hebrews letters of the Amalekite is 240. The same value of the Hebrew word that means doubt. This is what the enemy uses to try to get it to happen in your life. And when it happens, this is how he fights you. If he can get the doubt, 
that God is going to let this thing win. If He can get you to doubt that God is not going to come through. Because just because you find yourself in a it happened, doesn't mean that it's going to end this way. You need to know that if He can get you to doubt the power in the hand of God in your situation, if you doubt that your marriage could ever turn around, if you doubt that you could ever get free from this addiction, if you doubt, if there's a hint of doubt, you need to know the enemy's at work in your life. Because you need to know God can set anybody free. God can heal any marriage that's broken. God can heal any disease that you deal with. God can fix, heal men. But what the enemy does is he gets you to doubt. So what do you do when you doubt? You have to, what they call in the, the younger, flip the script. When the devil says, it's happened. Now, I doubt God's going to come through. You have to say, devil, I doubt you. I doubt that that could, it could happen the way you say it. Because the Bible says it will not end this way. The Bible says I will be. You have to doubt the devil. Because if you let the devil make you doubt God, then what happens is he gets to win. But now it says when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, or right, let's jump down. It says the Amalekites attacks. It says, the Amalekites attack, had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacking Ziglag and burn it with fire. And it had taken captive the women and those who were there. You've got to bear with me. I couldn't find my notebook. I put these in usually. <laughs> From small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had all been taken captive. This was a very bad day. And an anointed, called man of God who had spent his life chasing after God with all his heart. Can bad things happen to good people? Absolutely. Do they have to stay bad in good people's lives? No. Because what the Bible says, what the enemy meant for harm, the Lord will use for good. But what happens is, if He can get us to doubt in the happen, when it happens and you doubt, then the enemies, their cities would have stayed burned. Their wives would have stayed gone. Their kids would have stayed captive. But that's not the way this ended. Because the Bible says, it says, So David and his men came to the city, and there was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were, held, who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. I don't know if you've ever had one of those days. If you haven't, you need to know, eventually, you will. Because just like God is no respecter of people, the devil is no respecter of people. He has no compassion, no empathy. And the Bible says this, the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word may does not, it's our, and I'll be, we're going to be talking about it in the funeral today. It doesn't say can. Can means the ability. May has, means has the opportunity or has permission. And so it says the devil seeks who he may. So he waits for you to, to be able to find a spot in your life when the city wasn't guarded. Now, it's unusual here, because it said it didn't kill any of the men. It said it didn't kill any of them. 
So David and his men, what had happened were they had went to the battlefield. So obviously they had gotten so comfortable where they were living, they didn't see the harm that was outside the walls or outside the city. They had gotten so comfortable that when it was actually time to go to a battle that was away, David took all his men. And he left the, the, the city there unprotected with just, and I'm not meaning this sexist in any way, but just men, I mean just with women, children, sons and daughters. There weren't any prepared, ready soldiers there. I'm telling you, the Bible says that sin crouches at the door and waits. What it says. The devil's waiting for an opportunity. Now, I'm not preaching this message to scare people. We're going to turn to flip the script in just a few minutes. But the devil looks for an opportunity. The Bible says in the New Testament, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a place. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil a chance. Now, what does that mean? Because we all, you know what I'm saying, they, the thing about it was this. David left the city unprotected. Was he in sin? No. Was he doing anything that he wasn't supposed to? No. But he left his city unprotected. And so when that happened, the Bible says the enemy was waiting for that opportunity and he stepped in. Now, that's happened in my life a bunch of times. I would get so busy doing the work of God that a lot of times I would leave the walls of my own house down. And I could come home and there would be strife and I would come home and there would be, you know, signal. they would come home and I mean, i got to be honest with you, because I would be so busy doing the, will of, the work of God, I thought, that I left those that I love and care about defenseless. Now, this is what was going on in David's life. And the Bible said this. The Bible said they began to weep. The men, when they realized what had happened, they, I've had those days. I've been to the days where I just wept and cried and could not even imagine. How it got this bad or how it got this way. Or could I, and it, you need to know something. This was not judgment on David not leaving men. This was, he was just busy doing what he thought he should do. And the devil was waiting for an opportunity. What I've learned is this. Weeping is going to be a part of my life. But I get to choose what I weep for. I can either spend my time weeping for what I've lost. Or I can be on my knees before I lose it, weeping for the lost. Weeping is going to be a part of the Bible. says Jesus looked over Israel and He cried. Looking over the city, cried over the people that were there because they were lost. I know this, if I don't learn to get on my knees and weep before I lose, I'll find myself on my knees leaping, weeping for what I've lost. And the Bible said these men, they wept. And then it says as they wept until they did not, could not weep anymore. That's a lot of crying. That would have took some time. Because when you really care or you're really involved or you're really hurt or you really, you can cry for a lot. As a matter of fact, I know people that have wept and whined and cried about things for years. You need to know something. If you spend your time weeping, crying, and whining about what you've lost, it's not doing anybody any good. If you will spend your time weeping, crying, crying out to God, praying, seeking Him over what you have before you lose it, I want you to know something. You will not have to cry because you've lost it. it, it can, you, can get, you can see more on your... He, David should have put watchmen on them walls to see the enemy coming. But they were busy doing that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to discredit David. David did what he was doing. But I've learned this in my life. If I will look 
and get on my knees and I'll let my tears come down my face before I lose it. I can see farther on my knees than I can see on the other side of the battle wishing and having lost what I've lost. Says they were, they were weeping till they couldn't weep anymore. I, I'm trying to learn this. Trying to learn the devil's going to come against me. I need to be vigilant. I need to be ready. And I need to spend my time weeping before He gets there. I need to spend my time before the Lord. Crying out to God. Pleading the blood of Jesus over my family, over my church, over my city, over my kids, over my ministry, over our nation. Instead of waiting until the devil comes in and it happens. And begging God, Lord, look how bad I'm hurt. I can't believe you didn't. I'm a blamer. Are you guys blamers? One of the biggest problems in me and Jennifer's marriage is I am. I'm a blamer. She's not a blamer. I am. And when something happens and irritates me and irritates me, I instantly start trying to find somebody besides me for it to be their fault. And I'm working on it because Jennifer's, me and her getting a fight like something will happen. And I'll be like, look what you did, Jen. And she'll be like, you're always trying to point blame. That's honestly the biggest issue me and Jen have in our marriage. And so I tried to figure out this morning when I walked in the sanctuary and it was full of water, how I could blame this on Jennifer. But there was no way I could. I left the water on. But I'm always looking for somebody to blame. That's usually the first step we take when it happens. Or the devil moves in and comes in like a flood. Because here the Bible says, They cried till they couldn't cry anymore. It says, And then the men rose up against David. And they were going to stone him, the Bible says, because we always look for people to blame. I want you to know something. I don't care if you think it was your husband. I don't care if you think it was your boss. I don't care if you think it was the doctor. It was the devil. You need to, the Bible says this. You just need to understand this. The Bible says that if the thief is caught, he has to repay sevenfold. Now, how do you catch a thief? Well, the way they catch a thief is, you know, they put them, uh, they take, if someone comes into your house and they rob you, then they'll go find a bunch of people that it could have been. And they put them in a lineup. And then it is your job to identify who it was that did what they did. Now, if you can identify, the Bible says, the right one, the thief. It says that in return, sevenfold will be given back to you. But how many times have we identified the wrong one? And we identify say, oh, that's that was my husband, or that was Jennifer's fault, or that was their fault, or that was his fault, or that was my boss's fault. And we identify the wrong one, and then we step back feeling better about the judgment we've passed, but there's no reward out of that. You have to understand, when it happens, it came in from the devil. And so, here the Bible says that David's men came in saying, David, David. And so David at this point did this. It says that what he had to do was he had to reach down on the inside of him and pull out of the inside of him what he needed. Because that he had to encourage himself. You need to know something. If, if you find yourself in the middle of an it, you need to make sure there's something on the inside of you that you can use to encourage yourself. Because honestly, if you're just waiting for the people around you to do it, you're going to be let down. There has to be something because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know, I'm telling you, if you're trying to get good encouragement after it happened, 
You better, it's too late, baby. You better, yeah, I, I'm just going to be, I'm going to speak out of my personal stuff. I had to know the healing scriptures last week to deal with what I'm dealing with this week. You got to have something on the inside of you before it happens. And so if it's not happening to you right now, this is your moment. This is your time to get it out of the Word of God and get it on the inside of you so that when it's here, when the devil comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up the standard and you start living what you have on the inside of you instead of trying to find something on the outside of you to fix it. So it is our responsibility. David had this on the inside of him. He had to encourage himself. He had to preach to himself, the Bible says. And so, when you get that looky there, give that man a welcome home, stranger. <laughs> man, it's good to see you, Vic. That man, God used him to build this building. You're supposed to be here, sir. All right. Let's get back here. It said, it said that he encouraged himself. Now, I am going somewhere because I'm talking we got to quit playing games. So the Bible said this. David went and he put on, he called for the priest. He said, bring me an ephod. Now, up to this point, David was a soldier. He was a soldier. He was acting like a soldier. He was talking like a soldier. He was crying like a soldier. And he was running with soldiers. But he realized, for me to defeat the devil, I'm going to have to be more than a soldier. And the Bible says he called to the priest and said, bring me an ephod. Now, what the ephod was, it was, uh, I'm not going to get into all the church history, but it was a piece of garment, a metal plate thing that had these things on there that priests wore. He decided that being a man that just fights battles won't be enough. I'm going to have to be a man that honors and serves the Lord as well. And so he said, bring me an ephod. And so instead of putting on his armor... He went and put on his priest's clothes. Now, I'm here to tell you, when the enemy comes in like a flood, you can raise your fist up and you can fight. But I'm going to be honest with you. When you try to fight these kind of battles as soldiers, you end up fighting flesh and blood. But the Bible says that we're not supposed to fight flesh and blood. But we're supposed to fight powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness, rulers in high places. These battles are spiritual battles. You say, well, Cricket, how can it be a spiritual thing if, if I'm really, if David was looking at his house and it had burned? This is a natural. No, this is a spiritual thing. Because if you allow it to stay natural, it's going that house would stay burned in the natural. If you allow this battle to stay in the natural, your wife is going to stay gone in the natural. If you allow this battle to stay in the natural, your kids are going to be lost in the natural. But you're going to have to decide that I am not going to be able to fight this thing naturally. I'm going to have to fight this thing supernaturally. I'm going to have to become what God has called me to be. You say, Cricket, I'm not called a priest. Oh, yes, you are. First Peter says this, that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are called to be a fighter and you're called to be a priest. You're supposed to serve the Lord and worship the Lord and sacrifice for it. And you're supposed to fight on the battlefield. What you need to do is you need to understand that there's as much strength 
in being a spiritual man as there is being a physical strong man. The strongest men I know are men that know how to put on their priestly garments and get before the Lord over their family and over their church and over their job. You can, I'm going to tell you the quickest way to get a raise is not working harder on the job. It's praying for your boss and your job on your knees. You will do more work in the supernatural world for your natural situation than you ever will trying to make the natural make the supernatural work. And so he said, go get me an ephod. Me personally, I'm a blamer. If those guys rose up against me and wanted to throw sticks and rocks, I'd have got a bigger stick and a rock. But now I'm trying to learn that I get, if somebody's coming up against me, this is not going to be a natural battle. If the enemy's coming against me like a flood, I'm going to have to move over to the supernatural side and I have the Lord to raise the standard. My prayer life will increase. My word life will increase. My church life needs to increase. My being a part of what God's called me to do needs to increase because I will win this battle on the supernatural battlefield, not on the natural field. And so the Bible says that he began to inquire of the Lord. He says, Lord, do I pursue? Do I overtake? You Now, that's what he says. He said, God, do I pursue? Do I overtake? And the Bible says the word of the Lord came back to him. It says, pursue, overtake. It says, and you will recover it all. Now, I don't understand. I, me and Misty were talking this week. I don't understand how God makes things like they're walking through good again. There were times of things I walked through personally that when I was going through it, I said there can never be any good coming out of something so bad. I told you, you guys know the circumstance situation just a few years ago my family walked through and when it came through my wife instantly is like I'm so glad God allowed this to come in because look at us now it took me about two years honestly I'm just going to be honest with you I was angry for about two years I was bitter for about two years I was hurt for about two years saying God we were doing everything we could do right and this still happened and it wasn't worth it God I, I'm not living a life that I see it being worth what we went through but the thing about it is this I was looking for a one-time quick fix from the Lord. I remember about two years after the battles we went through, I was driving and I I was telling the Lord, Lord, I don't see it being worth it. Jennifer, I was mad. I left the house because Jennifer was like, she was in this great mood, praising God. I'm so glad God has done what He's done and how He did it. Let me tell you how powerful even today this is. Had we not have went through that five years ago, my family would not be in Alabama today. If my family was not in Alabama today, what's got to happen in my little girl's life is such an intricate procedure that in the states, in the United States, the, the doctors and the hospitals in each state to perform these procedures, Arkansas is 42 on the list. Where we are today is Alabama is number six. There are three doctors in the country that can successfully perform. What's got to happen? Two are up north. One is in Alabama. And so, I look back now and say, was it worth it? It was so worth it. 
You say, because did the devil do this? No. My daughter was born this way, so the enemy was at work then. And it took these three years for this to come about. But now look back and say, it was so worth it. I see you were involved, but you got to understand. You got to understand, it's going to be a lifelong pursuit. And you must decide that I'm going to overtake. And so with my daughter, I look back now over, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing just personal experience here. Over the last six months, my wife has taken a new job and she's put in more money, more hours, more work in the last six months than we've been through it all. I mean, that she has in the last, in our, and she's not made one single dollar in her business. And she has worked harder than she had in the last six months. I've been griping and complaining about this for six months to the Lord. God, you see what you're doing. God, you want to buy Do you understand? We found out that if she would have made any money in this business, then we wouldn't be able to pay for this. Our insurance would not have been at the place to be able to cover. We would have been in a higher tax bracket if we would have made just a little money. I couldn't pay for what's about to happen. I'm here to tell you. He said, pursue and overtake. He didn't say understand. He didn't say, you'll succeed that right over there, right? You have to just pursue. There's time, God, you got to run after God and you don't know where He's leading you. Because He wants you to have it all back. 